I want you to think for a minute about your time in school. Who was your favorite teacher? Shout it out. Tell me. Who was your favorite teacher? <laughs> on the spot. And he's on the front row, too. So, like, <laughs> who was your favorite teacher? Miss Travis? Who else? Miss Baker? Mr. Perry? Mr. Perry? Krause. Miss Krause. Miss Beldy. Miss who? Beldy. Miss Blair. There you go. <laughs> Wilson. Miss Wilson. Well, I want you to think about your favorite teacher. What made them so special to you? What was it about them that made them such a great teacher? One of the greatest examples, I think, of, of a bond that can exist between a student and teacher um, is actually from the, the 1984 American martial arts classic film, The Karate Kid. <laughs> and if you've never seen that movie, your homework is to go and watch that movie at some point this week. But it's a wonderful story about a, a boy named Daniel LaRusso. He's a teenage student, and he's being taught karate by his teacher, Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi teaches him all about the ways of karate through like washing and waxing his car and mopping and doing all these menial chores. Um, and then you've got the Cobra Kai dojo and all those students are being taught this extreme, violent, aggressive form of karate. But there's one conversation between Daniel and Mr. Miyagi where Mr. Miyagi tells him there's no such thing as a bad student. There are only bad teachers. Teachers say and students do. Now, what I love about this film is that in the end, Mr. Miyagi not only teaches Daniel how to defend himself and how to use restraint, but he also teaches him about becoming a better human being. He teaches him about the value of, of working hard and doing the right thing, even when it's hard to do the right thing. In our sermon series this morning, um, Discovering Jesus as friend, teacher, savior, Lord, way, and presence. We're going to be talking about Jesus as our teacher. I want to invite you to stand as we hear God's word. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 13 through 17. You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly, because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example just as I have done, you also must do. I assure you, servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> In her book, Freeing Jesus, Diana Butler Bass says, As a rabbi, Jesus was remarkable, challenging, and inventive. His teachings remain compelling, influencing people throughout the ages and well beyond Christianity. And those teachings stand on their own as beautiful without needing to diminish others. Diana Butler Bass notes that roughly 60 out of the 90 times that Jesus is directly addressed in the New Testament, he's referred to as teacher. Rabbi, great one, or master. Jesus 
teaches all throughout the scriptures. He teaches with commandments. He teaches by telling parables, by sharing life lessons, through preaching challenging sermons. He teaches everywhere he goes, in the temple, on a hilltop, by the water, in a field, in the city, at the dinner table. Plus, Jesus teaches to all types of people. He teaches to his disciples, the rich and elite, the poor and the oppressed. He preaches to large crowds. He preaches in small groups. He teaches to his friends and among the religious elite. Jesus is the ultimate teacher. And it's interesting because Jesus um, had this knack for teaching early on in his life. There's only one story in all four of the Gospels where we see Jesus as a child, as a kid. It all started when he was uh, about 11 or 12 years old. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph had traveled from Nazareth and gone to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover festival. And after the Passover celebration ends, Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph don't realize that he's not with them on the way back home, and they lose Jesus. Now, if you've, you're a parent, if you've ever lost your children, you know what that feeling is like. But here's the thing. They, they miss him for three days. For three days, they don't know where their son is. And so, finally, they, they find Jesus back in Jerusalem, He's there in the temple. He's sitting among these religious scholars, these teachers, asking questions and providing answers. At 12 years old, Jesus encounters the religious experts of his day. And it's almost like Jesus is hanging out with his school teachers. It's like he's sitting at his desk, raising his hand, asking questions, sharing profound insights. Now, I want you to think, can you imagine yourself when you were in sixth grade going toe-to-toe with the religious experts of the day. Can you imagine discussing God's character or questions about eschatology or various theological insights, uh, ways to translate the Greek and Hebrew text? And yet, this is what Jesus is doing. He's doing it all as a sixth grader. He's sitting with these brilliant professors, and they are all amazed at this little Jesus' wisdom and brilliance. These teachers have become the students, and Jesus has emerged as the teacher. Now, uh, some of you here today are still in school. If you're in school, raise your hand. So some of us here are still in school. Some of us here are teachers. If you're a teacher, raise your hand. But for the rest of us, it's probably been a little while since we've been in school. It's probably been a while since we've been in school as students. But do you remember school? Do you remember how hard school could be? Do you remember walking the hallways, carrying your backpack, sitting in class day after day? Remember your teachers, some of those ones that we mentioned? We mentioned the good ones. We didn't mention the bad ones, right? Remember some of the, uh, the uh, exams? Remember some of the grades? Remember some of the things that you struggled with while you were in school, academically, socially, athletically? Now, I can remember when I was in school, there was one subject that I always struggled with, and that subject was math. Now, my dad is here. He's a certified public accountant. He's great at math. Every year at the beginning of the school year, he'd say, hey, let me see your math book. But he never helped me with the math. He just, let me see the math book, and then he'd give it back to me. All right, you're on your own. But um, for me, math just didn't add up. 
But I had to, had to work extra hard to learn that material. And I remember the panic, I remember the stomach aches that I would get before I'd have to take the algebra exams. I remember that feeling of, of being in the only one in the classroom that felt like I didn't know what was going on. I was afraid to raise my hand, I was afraid to ask questions. Have you ever felt that way? You know, I feel bad for our students and teachers over these past few years. They've had to deal with a lot, especially in this pandemic, learning virtually through a screen. You know, it's hard enough, but as a student, I'm sure it's hard to speak up that way. It's hard to, to put yourself out there, to feel like you could get the question wrong, fear of making a mistake, feeling like maybe you're just not smart enough. There's a heartbreaking story about a student who came home with a letter for his mother that his teacher had written. The mother, with tears in her eyes, read that letter out loud to her child. Your son is a genius. The school is too small for him and doesn't have enough good teachers for training him. Please teach him yourself. After several years, the young boy grew up, became a man, and his mother eventually died. And one day, while he was going through some of her things, he found a crumpled up piece of paper in the back corner of one of the drawers in the desk. And he unfolded that crumpled piece of paper, and it was that letter that his teacher had written his mother years ago. And he read what that letter actually said. It said, your son is adult. He's mentally ill. We won't let him come to school anymore. The young man was none other than the famous inventor Thomas Edison. And after reading that note, Edison sobbed for hours before writing with conviction in his journal, Thomas Alva Edison was an adult child that thanks to the heroism of his mother became the genius of the century. Good teacher can make a big difference. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can all find examples in our own lives where we felt like we didn't quite measure up, where we felt insignificant, where we felt vulnerable, where we felt small. But, you know, teachers have this incredible responsibility. I love what one teacher has said. He said, I've come to a frightening conclusion. I am the decisive element in the classroom. It is my personal approach that creates the climate. It's my daily mood that makes the weather. As a teacher, I possess tremendous power to make a child's life miserable or joyous. I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. I can humiliate or humor, hurt or heal. In all situations, it is my response that decides whether a crisis will be escalated or de-escalated and a child's humanized or dehumanized. Now, if you're a school teacher, I promise I'm not just picking on you. <laughs> because here's the thing. We are all, as Christians, called to be teachers, whether we like it or not. So I'm really picking on all of us this morning. We all have the ability to make an impact on other people's lives, either for the good or for the bad. We're all called to be teachers, to share about the gospel, to encourage one another, to motivate each other in our faith journeys, to learn from each other, to lean on each other, to ask questions, to share insights, 
we are all teachers and we are all students. So for the adults in the room, we have, I think, a special opportunity to teach and encourage our youth and our children. If you're an adult, try to remember what it was like when you were their age, when you were young, when you were in school. And I encourage you to take our children and youth seriously. Some of my favorite people growing up in church were the folks, those adults that came up to me and treated me like an adult, even though I was a kid. Come and look me in the eye, shake my hand. And they were the ones that were willing to take the time to acknowledge me and to speak into my life. They cared about what I had to say. They would listen to me. For our young people, we adults need you. We need to learn from you. You have something special to teach us. I don't know if you can hear the front row sing on Sunday mornings, but they can teach us a lot about worship. So don't be afraid to speak up and tell us what you think. Don't be afraid to use your voice, to use your gifts, to use your talents, because you are important and you're valuable. The truth is, we as a church don't always do that well. We don't always encourage our young people well. A lot of young people are leaving the church at an alarming rate. Ed Stetzer writes, it's not that most young people rejected the church. For the most part, they simply lose track of the church and stop seeing it as important in their life. It's our job to make sure that we find the importance in church and worship and being with one another. It's our job to love and to support and encourage one another. What I love about the United Methodist Liturgy um, when it comes to baptism is that our congregation, anytime someone is baptized, we make a vow to increase that person's faith, to confirm them in hope, and to perfect them in love. We're, we're making a promise that we're going to um, come around that person, to shepherd them, to welcome them, to pray for them, to encourage them, to embrace them. And so we're called to embrace each other in this church, to support each other, to encourage each other. What I love about, most about the story about Jesus as a young child talking with those rabbis is that none of those rabbis, rabbis pushed Jesus away. None of them said, hey, what are you doing here? You're just a kid. You don't belong here. You're not old enough. You're not smart enough. Get, go away. None of those rabbis did that. They opened the circle. They created a space for him to come and learn and listen and share and teach. Jesus was embraced and welcomed. He was invited into this discussion and into the community of faith. Jesus is our ultimate teacher. In our scripture lesson this morning, Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example. Just as I have done, you also must do. I assure you servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the ones who sent them. So at this point in the gospel story, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he is washing his disciples' feet. He takes on this, this posture as servant, even though he is the master, even though he is the teacher. Jesus makes that clear. He says, I am the teacher. You call me teacher, that is correct. But then he levels the playing field between 
teacher and student, between servant and master. Jesus is our teacher, and that means that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to explore our faith, to explore our doubts, to ask questions, to share insights. We don't have to be afraid of raising our hand and getting the answer wrong because Jesus is our teacher. You know, Jesus had a lot of teachings in the scriptures. We can't go through all of them. But luckily, he narrows down for us what is the most important lesson. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing? And Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Everything that we need to know as students of Jesus Christ, our teacher, is summed up in this one simple commandment. The entire law, all the demands of the prophets hinge on this one thing. Our ability and our willingness to love God and to love each other. That's the most important lesson that Jesus teaches us in the Bible. It's not about doctrine. It's not about theology. The word Trinity doesn't even show up in the Bible. It's about our ability, our willingness to love. Jesus is our teacher, and we are called to do what he says. So let's go forth learning from Christ, learning from each other, and loving all the way. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. God of wisdom, we are thankful that you are our great teacher. May we learn from your lessons and from your example. May we learn and grow from one another as we strive to move forward in this community of faith. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to learn and grow in our faith. And we ask that you would allow us to be better versions of ourselves than we were the day before. May we increase in wisdom and favor. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.